Wayfarer's Chapel is a national memorial to Emanuel Swedenborg and an ecumenical ministry of the Swedenborgian Church based here in Rancho Palos Verdes, California. We seek to nurture the spiritual journey of all wayfarers traveling through life. Our podcast features our weekly sermon and scripture readings. Enjoy. What happens when a Buddhist becomes totally absorbed with the computer that they are working on? They enter nerdvana. All right. Got a few groans and chuckles out of that. All right. Good. It's working. Unmerited generosity from Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. It is by grace that you are saved through faith, not by anything of your own, but by a pure gift from God, and not by anything you have achieved. Nobody can claim the credit. You are God's work of art. From Romans 11, verse 6. By grace you notice. Nothing to do with good deeds or grace would not be grace at all. From Luke 12, verse 37. Happy are those servants whom the master finds awake. I tell you, he will put on an apron, sit them down at table, and wait on them. These three verses give a bit of a summation of the good news of God's freely given grace. And this is from Father Richard Rohr here. He says, I think grace, arising from God's limitless love, is the central theme of the entire Bible. It is the divine, unmerited generosity that is everywhere available, totally given, usually undetected as such, and often even undesired. This grace was defined, even in the old Baltimore Catechism, as that which confers on our souls a new life, that is, a sharing in the life of God. We always knew it on paper, but much less by way of experience and therefore inner conviction. In this parable of the watchful servants in Luke, God is presented as waiting on us in the middle of the night, In fact, we see God as both our personal servant inside our house and the divine burglar who has to break through the walls of our house. That's really quite extraordinary. And not our usual image of God. It shows how much God, quote, the hound of heaven, as Francis Thompson says, wants to get to know us and how unrelenting is the work of grace unless and until we understand the biblical concept of God's unmerited favor, God's unaccountable love. Most of the biblical texts cannot be interpreted or tied together in any positive way. It is without a doubt the key and the code to everything transformative in the Bible. People who have not experienced the radical character of grace will always misinterpret the meaning and major direction of the Bible. The Bible will become a burden 
obligation and weapon more than a gift. Grace cannot be understood by any ledger of merits and demerits. It cannot be held to patterns of buying, losing, earning, achieving, or manipulating, which is unfor unfortunately where most of us live our lives. Grace is quite literally, quote, for the taking. It is God eternally giving away God for nothing except the giving itself. I believe grace is the life energy that makes flowers bloom. Animals lovingly raise their young, babies smile, and planets remain in their orbits for no good reason whatsoever except love alone. Abundance, largesse, excess, are the name of the spiritual game. Full measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over and pouring into your lap. Grace will always be experienced as more than enough instead of mere survival mode. So I really love how Father Richard Rohr gets at this whole concept of grace. And if you haven't read some of his works like Falling Upward, Immortal Diamond, I highly recommend those. But this concept of abundant grace, for anyone who's been in my second job over at the Garden Church, I preach there once a month, third Sunday of the month, you know that there's a song, if you've been there, for a community meal. Before that community meal is celebrated together, there's a song that goes something like this. And if, if you know it, you can, you can clap her appropriately. There is enough, there is enough, there is enough, oh, enough and some to share. Everyone misses that third clap because it's a pause. But it's fun. It engages people. It gets people to understand the abundance of God's grace. The only thing that's required there at the community meal is to be hungry. You can't go through this life too long without sleep, water, food, all the basics. And it's based, I mean, the entire concept of that church is based out of the book of Revelation. God, the new Jerusalem, coming and landing in the midst of a city in the garden. Anyone can enter by any of those gates. The grace that is abundant is part of the ministry. People come there that are physically hungry, physically thirsty, people that haven't slept in days. And it's really that grace that continues that ministry to thrive after eight and a half years where it was just an abandoned parking lot. That generous grace was the foundation, the inspiration, for putting something, landing that vision that's there in that obscure part of the Bible, the book of Revelation, where a lot of people have taken that all kinds of ways. We're taking that literally. We're saying, let's create heaven here on earth. Let's start in the midst of the city, right where the grittiness is, right where people are hungry, thirsty, haven't slept, homeless, actually need clothes. It's bold. Grace is abundant in that community. It's in that meal. And there's something that's also even bolder, which is pressing our comfort zones. It's not just about the food that's served, the water that's given, the clothes that are also placed there, the resources for where you can find some place to sleep that's safe. It's sitting down together, sharing some basic things, 
a meal, engaging in conversation with people that don't look like us. Maybe they don't smell like us. Those are where we meet the edge of our comfort zone. That's where transformation enters in. That's where communities are changed, lives are changed. We talk about this in our ministry meetings, about every time we're there, every time we open up the gates, there are miracles happening. No, they're not the ones where someone's walking in in a wheelchair and then they're sprinting out. You gotta, you gotta look for them, but they're there. They are magical moments that would not take place if we were not there in that community doing that work. And that happens here too, by the way. There are two Swedenborgian churches in Southern California, one here, one there in San Pedro. There were sister ministries, same theology, the only ones in Southern California at this point. The theme of radical inclusion are aspects to both of them. The name Wayfarers. Anyone wayfaring through life can come here, get a taste of God. And that's, that's happened here too. People have been transformed by simply coming here into this space. People that didn't even believe in God. I got to have some of these conversations after a prayer service when someone wanted to come back to the site of their pilgrimage, the place where they found the Lord, the place where they had come to, I think it was about seven years later, after an experience of meeting the Lord here in this space you're all enjoying. They went back to the Philippines and started a ministry, spreading the gospel through all the island chains in the Philippines and in various places, and was telling me how powerful that had become in his life. And he came back here to celebrate the moment of where his life was transformed. And here we are, we've made it past Halloween. We're heading towards Thanksgiving. That's, that's the easiest one to preach on throughout the year because you get to celebrate a whole day of just being in gratitude and thankfulness. And that's a bit about the message of grace. There's nothing we can do that's gonna give us more opportunity than right now. It's improbable we're alive. It's improbable we're still here. When you look at all the ways that we are sustained by God's loving force in our very essence, in our being. Grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice of an echo. Gratitude follows grace like thunder, lightning. I read that from Karl Barth. The abundant grace is here as part of the scripture reading from Proverbs. My child, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So this flowing grace from God, it's there in the readings that were read. It's there in other readings in the gospel, such as that moment where Jesus meets the woman at the well, encountering that living water from our hearts. And grace is an interesting one. 
when we do surrender to the power and presence freely given, it's available to the saint as much as the sinner. It's part of the reason why Jesus hung out with all walks of life. When we surrender to the reality, our identity in God, knowing this firsthand, the fountain of grace begins to flow. We stop seeking our own worthiness and we begin to know the gift of God. We begin to realize that it's all a gift and it's all free and we already have it. And all we can do is learn to enjoy it. That changes everything. And we'll be heading towards gratitude here in a moment. But we first need to reconcile a few things about the Gospel of Luke. Where Jesus says a whole lot of things there, and I'm not going to be able to unpack all of those. That's a huge amount. That was a consolidation of many gems of wisdom right there, all together. So let's talk about judgment. Anyone able to live life without judging? Follows on top of a really hard one last week about not worrying. If you can not worry and not judge, all right, I want you up here preaching. It is possible to live life abundantly in grace and gratitude. It's also a challenge to not worry and not to judge. So when we're going to look at what judging is and how it's used and why it's part of this gospel, it's so normal. We normalize it. And it does have to do with the way that we navigate the world. And yes, there is a, a bit of a superiority complex when it comes to this piece called judgment. We can have preferences, that's fine. But this is a little bit different. This is a little bit different. Judgment. Why is it that we get all excited when our sports team wins and we get a little deflated when they, when they lose? Yeah, we have a preference. We like our team. But here's something about it. It, goes, it cuts both ways. And we can learn this about ourselves a bit. The more that we are in a very judgmental space, by that same measure, we too are going to be judged. Hence, do not judge and you will not be judged. But think about this for a moment. That reciprocity, the more that we're sitting in judgment, even more so righteous judgment, the more that we're out there in an attitude of harsh condemnation, sitting in a place of judgment, you know what that sets us up for? We too will be judged. I think this has to do with the a similar thing about public speaking. Public speaking is one of those things that people fear more than death. You're going to get judged. People don't like it. But here's something that was written by William Shakespeare, who discovered this great truth from Hamlet. There is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. That appears in Act 2, scene 2 of Hamlet. There's something there that is deeply infused with grace. Grace is something beyond our judgment. Grace is something beyond our capacity to think. Grace is an 
is an experience at the deepest level of our being. And it's open to us and available to us right now, any moment, to any of us, regardless of our life situation. It reminds me, too, of, uh, one, of the, one of the letters that's attributed to uh, Steve Jobs, who, you know, had billions of dollars, changed the world. We probably, more than one or two of you have a, an iPhone in your pocket. But he wrote this beautiful thing, and I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but at the age of 57, he died of pancreatic cancer. And he talks about all that he had done in order to achieve this, but none of that really matters on your deathbed. When you've got hours, minutes, and you look at your life, what it's been about, what was the focus? This is where God's abundant grace can enter in for us, right here, right now. That judgment and sitting in there doesn't like grace. It doesn't like the presence of joy, light, love, this whole topic of abundant grace and gratitude. And judgment is powerful because it puts us in a position that's similar to God. We try and play God here. We judge. The challenge in all that is we never know who we're judging, really. We can't see into someone's heart the way God does. We can't see into their minds. We can't read people's thoughts. We also got to understand a bit about ourselves. The way that we come into this world is very much a product of where we grew up, how our parents were, all the education that we had, the teachers, all these influences that are way beyond our control. When we, when we really look at this, a lot of this also reminds me of another powerful moment in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, the woman who's caught in adultery. The group gathers around and they're ready to stone this woman to death. They're ready to execute judgment right then and there. Jesus intervenes and says, let he who is without sin throw the first stone, cast the first stone. That's powerful. It's powerful because it brought awareness. It brought awareness to people that thought they were in righteous judgment, willing to kill someone, which violates a commandment, by the way. But it pointed out something. It brought awareness. It brought sanity. So let's, let's get down to uh, this other section here. It's a challenging one as well. But why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor friend, let me take out the speck in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. For the most part, most all of us are consumed in the seeking of that speck in the other person's eye. We pretend we don't have this big log that's sitting in our own. And if we do, it surely is smaller than the other person's. And that's why Jesus attacks this like he likes to do with his, one of his favorite words, you hypocrite. You know, doing something that you know is, is not something you're willing to do. To sit in that place of judgment is the giant log. And we have no ability to see our own log in our own eye. And it's detrimental. 
is challenging. The good news is that there is a way out. There is a way to become less judgmental, to allow that abundant grace, that abundant gratitude to permeate our very essence, our very being. It begins with a solid foundation. And this is literally where Jesus asks us all to dig deeper, deep digger within our soul to find those spiritual fruits. The rich parable described really challenges us. Are we sitting in judgment? Let me just reread the two foundations. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me. Here's my words and acts on them. That one is like a man building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on a rock. When a flood arose, the river burst against that house but could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the river burst against it, it quickly collapsed and was the ruin of that house. In other words, Jesus is sharing with us all a way to build that solid foundation, that place where peace, joy, love, that abundant grace and gratitude reside. The kingdom of God is most definitely a very solid foundation on which we can build our spiritual foundation. The challenge to us all is that it requires a lot of work. This is not easy work. And this is also part of the parable there. Sitting in judgment is easy. It's quick. Can be a trait of taking the easy way out. The quick fix, all of those things. When we're going to get to why this parable would have been understood powerfully back then, it was true. Many people were looking for shelter. The easy way would have been to build it on sand. It took a lot of work to actually find a solid piece of rock, chisel it out, and build the foundation. But of course, being in the, in the desert, the floods would have come in the wet season, and that would have landed well with those who had done the hard work. But I want to take this and wind this up here for all of us, because I think it's fair to say We've been going through challenging times. The other deeper spiritual metaphor, parable there, when all those changes and challenges come to us, how do we handle those? How do we navigate these? These past few years have definitely challenged our way of being in the world. They're more than just a light breeze. These are what are described, whether we have a solid foundation built or not. Jesus is also telling us in that parable to find the kingdom of God, the same that was yesterday, today, and forever to come. So I want to conclude here with one final piece from Roar here, who has gratitude on the move. Jesus said to the host who invited him, when you hold a lunch or dinner, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And blessed indeed 
will be you because of their inability to repay you. Inspired by this exchange in the Gospel of Luke, Richard explores the economy of grace in which God desires us to live. And he says, I'd like to contrast two economies in worldviews. The first economy is capitalism, which is based on quid pro quo, reward and punishment, justice and retribution. This much product requires this much payment. It soon becomes the framework for our fundamental relationships, our basic self-image and actions. I deserve and you owe me. I will be generous if this helps me too. And it constructs a faculty foundation for a relationship with divinity. We've got to admit that this system of exchange seems reasonable to almost everybody today. If we're honest, it makes sense to us too and seems fair. I'm not going to say it's wrong, it does much good. The only trouble is Jesus doesn't believe it at all. And he's supposed to be our spiritual teacher. So let's contrast this meritocracy, the punishment, reward, economy of basic capitalism with what Jesus presents. I'm going to call it the gift economy. In a gift economy, there is no equivalence between what we give and how much we get. We don't really like this model because we feel if we've worked hard to get what's ours, we feel we have earned a right, our rightful social positions. Yet if we call ourselves Christians, we have to deal with actual gospel of grace. The only way we can actually understand this is if we had at least one experience of being given two without earning. It's called forgiveness, unconditional love and mercy. If we've never received unearned, undeserved love, we will say in the capitalist world where two plus two equals four, I put in my two, I get my back my, my two back. But we remain very unsure, if not angry, about anything that's free, whether it's free health care, physical, mental, or spiritual, or even free education. These benefits can be seen as natural human rights and sustain people's humanity and dignity. All too often, though, we only want people in our group to benefit from health care, education, and bailouts. The bottom line is that we don't deserve anything, anything. It's all a gift. Until we have begun to live in the kingdom of God instead of the kingdoms of this world, we will think exactly like the world. To understand the gospel in its radical, transformative power, we have to stop counting, measuring, and weighing. We have to stop saying, I deserve, and deciding, who does not deserve? None of us deserves in the kingdom of God. This daily conversation is hard to do unless we've experienced infinite mercy and realize it's all a gift all the time. It's all a gift all the time. Abundant grace, abundant gratitude. So I invite us all to dig deeper in our own spiritual roots find that bedrock of grace, of love, to remain open to the infinite, that abundant grace available to us this moment. Amen.